is a podcast from Delancey Elim Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 in the Delancey Elim Church building at Le Grand St. Samson in the Channel Islands of Guernsey. To contact us or to find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelim.co.uk. Praise God. Well, let's continue with uh, the series, sermon series that we've been looking at these last few weeks. And that is Women of Grace. Uh, last week, uh, Nicole spoke about Ruth. I presume she did. <laughs> that was the plan, wasn't it? I w- yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't here. And uh, I heard great reports of what a great sermon it was. And I've already spoken on Mary and Rahab. Uh, we took a break for Father's Day where I talked on Paul, and then we'll come back to this series, and it's the time um, today I'm going to talk about Bathsheba, and so today, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11, and we're going to read the story of David and Bathsheba, but before I uh, read from Scripture, I just want to read Bathsheba's profile as written in the Life Application Bible. Life Application Bible is one of the Bibles I use to, to, in my studies. And they, at the beginning of, in parts of the, of the Bible, they have these profiles, and they're very useful. So I thought I'd read this today. This is Bathsheba's profile. Bathsheba was the unlikely link between Israel's two most famous kings, David and Solomon. She was lover and wife to one and mother to the other. Her adultery with David almost brought an end to the family through which God planned to physically enter this world. Out of the ashes of that sin, however, God brought good. Eventually, Jesus Christ, the salvation of man, was born to a descendant of David and Bathsheba. The story of David and Bathsheba shows that a little wrong decision often leads to a big mistake, to big mistakes. It seems that neither was where he or she should have been. Perhaps Bathsheba was rash in bathing where she might be seen and David should have been at war with his army. Each decision contributed to the beginning of a very sad series of events. The chain of events possibly was very traumatic for Bathsheba. Unfaithfulness to her husband, discovery of pregnancy, death of her husband, death of her child. We are told that David comforted her comforted her in 2 Samuel 12:24, and she lived to see another son, Solomon, sit on the throne. From her life, we are to see that the little day-to-day choices we make are very important. Our choices prepare us to make the right choices when the big decisions come. The wisdom to make the right choices is in small and large matters as a gift from God. Understanding this should make us more conscious of the decisions we make and more willing to include God in our decision-making. So that's a profile, a, a, a quick snapshot of Bathsheba. Let's read it in more detail, the story. I'm sure that you would know it, but let's remind ourselves in 2, chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 11. First one says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. 
One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanness. Then she went back home. Woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. Then when Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were and how the war was going. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. When David was told Uriah did not go home, he asked him, haven't you just come from a distance? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my master Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, stay here one more day and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah in the front line where the the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at the place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. I think we'll leave it there. The story goes on where a messenger is sent to David and David is told that Uriah the Hittite is dead. A terrible series of events. A terrible story of unwise choices. And in this story of Bathsheba and David, I believe there are some lessons that we can learn. We can see from the life of Bathsheba and David as well, that the choices that we make make an impact on us and on others. And that we need to make wise decisions as the Holy Spirit leads us. Over the years, Bathsheba has been maligned as a temptress, uh, an adulteress, someone who played the main part in this whole sordid affair. This tragic story of choices and lack of self-control and the consequences of the unrighteous choices that are made is clear in this story. Historically, maybe Bathsheba has had the blame cast on her for flaunting herself, 
in front of the king. But when I read the story, I cast the blame on David, to be honest. You know, for a starter, we are told in verse 1 of chapter 11 that he remained in Jerusalem. It says, in the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Reba, but David remained in Jerusalem. This was not the right choice. If he had made the honourable and correct and right decision, then maybe this whole affair would not have happened. And it emphasises the point that I'm making today that the choices that we make have an impact on our lives and the lives of others. Next, we discover that David sees Bathsheba bathing. We are not told how he saw her. What we do know is that he was on the palace roof. I would imagine that the palace was the tallest building in the city of Jerusalem, so he would have been um, quite high up and be able to look over the city. And it has been presumed that Bathsheba was bathing on her roof. It doesn't actually say that in Scripture. It doesn't say she was bathing on the roof. I know I was always taught the story that that was how it happened, that David was on the roof and she was on the roof bathing and he saw her. I think she may, be, she may have been bathing on the roof. She may have been bathing in her home. She may have been bathing in a walled courtyard. We don't know. But what we do know is David saw her from his advantageous viewpoint. And some people have accused Bathsheba of flaunting herself in front of the king. That she knew he was watching and purposely bathed in his sight. The Bible does not tell us this. We do not really know the situation in complete detail. So let's not be quick to judge Bathsheba here. David is the one in authority. He is the one who saw her and he is the one who made the decision to pursue her. He could have showed self-control and not acted upon his lustful desires. Here we see another choice. He chose to pursue her and this led to the adulterous affair and ultimately to an honest man's death. When I look at this story of Bathsheba and David, we can split it up into four parts, four stages. Firstly, the sin. Secondly, the cover-up. Thirdly, the condemnation. And fourthly, the restoration. The sin is David seeing Bathsheba and allowing his lustful desires to take control. How often do we allow the wrong things to take control of our lives? How, long, how often do we allow the wrong things to influence the decisions that we make? God wants us to be obedient to his word and instruction. And I believe that when we do, when we live our lives as God has intended us to, when we make choices and decisions in line with his word, we're on the right path, we're in his will, we're in his purpose. The moment we start to make choices for ourselves, the moment we make choices and decisions that are not based upon God's word, 
we are in danger of making the wrong choices. And those choices can lead us sometimes into devastating places. Devastating effects upon our life and the lives of others. I certainly can give testimony of many of my friends and colleagues who have made the wrong choice, who have drifted away from God and allowed the wrong influences to decide the decisions they make and they've left themselves very vulnerable. David definitely made the wrong choice here. Through his bad choice, through him summoning of Bathsheba to his bed, a child is conceived. Some people say that Bathsheba had a choice here. She could have not come to the king. She could have refused his advances. I asked the question, did she really have a choice here? I don't know. I wasn't there. But what I do see is David is the king and her refusal to come when someone could have resulted in her death. David had decided that he wanted her and that was it. So that is part one, the sin. We've looked at the sin and how that happened. The consequences of sin in the conceiving of an illegitimate child. Sin always has a consequence. And so we venture into part two of this unhappy tale. The cover-up. Once David received word that Bathsheba was pregnant, he goes into cover-up mode and tries to cover over the sin that he has committed, that they have committed. And his first idea is to arrange for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to go home immediately in the hope that he would go home, be with his wife, and then they can say that the baby was Uriah's. That was his hope. That was his first cover-up plan to get Uriah off the fighting field and back home quickly. But that didn't work, did it? In the words of young people today, that was an epic fail. It was an epic fail because Uriah is an honourable man and he will not partake of his home luxuries whilst his men are in tents camping and protecting the city. So David's next cover-up plan is to get Uriah drunk and then maybe he'll go home again. But Uriah doesn't do as David thought he might do. He doesn't actually make it home. Maybe he got him too drunk, I don't know, but he didn't make it home. He slept on his mat with the master servants. And so David goes into panic mode now. My cover-up story, my cover-up plan isn't working. And he goes from this cover-up into a crazy cover-up now. He goes into panic and does something drastic. And he arranges for Uriah's death. This shows the effects of sin in our lives when we do not face up to them. We do not face up to our sin, to the things that we do, the choices that maybe we make that are wrong. And try and cover up results in more sin. David didn't wake up one day and decide that he was going to murder someone. But as a result of bad choices, he ended up doing so. I love to watch um, 
the, the CSI programs on telly. Maybe you do as well. And uh, quite often in those things you see that uh, somebody makes a mistake and it ends up with somebody being killed and then to cover up that they kill somebody else and to cover up that they kill somebody else. It's not very nice. But that's the effect sometimes that sin has on our lives that it leads to another sin until we actually face up to it or until we are discovered. And so the tragic murder of Bathsheba, Bathsheba's husband Uriah happens and David thinks that he's managed to cover up his sin. Verse 26 and 27 says this. It says, When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Bathsheba mourned for her husband as was proper. Then as a gesture of supposed nobility, the king took the poor widow in and made her one of his wives. David thought the whole incident was covered. The only living person who knew the entire truth and could testify against him was Bathsheba. And her silence was probably motivated by fear for her own life. There were also some men who served the king who would have had partial knowledge of what had happened. But they remained loyal to the king, even when he was wrong, and were probably compensated for their silence. All of his bases were covered, or so he thought. He only overlooked one small detail. You can't hide from God. He knows everything about us. He knows what we're doing. We cannot deceive God. He knows everything. Sometimes I wonder why we think we can deceive God. David obviously thought that he could. And he thought he got away with it. I believe that God wants the best for us. And that is why we have the words of Scripture. That's why God planned it that through the Holy Spirit... and men writing that we had this scripture, the words of God that we could hold in our hand, that we could read. God wants the best for us. But we can't pick and choose the things that we like and the things that we don't like. David knew it was wrong to go after Bathsheba because she was another man's wife. He abused his power and made a choice to ignore the decision and the direction of God, rather. We have seen the terrible consequences of his decision. Why is it that sometimes we can be the same? That we think that we can deceive God and we can ignore the truth of Scripture. We can ignore some of the words that God has written down for us. Why is that? Why is it sometimes we make choices that we know that are not right for us, but yet we still make those choices? I'm sure we could probably all give testimony, personal testimony, 
or testimony of others that you know that have made wrong choices and it's caused terrible consequences for yourself and for other people. God wants us to exercise self-control. And David didn't do that. And maybe Bathsheba didn't either. God has given us everything that we need in order to accomplish self-control. God has given us a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline, it says in Timothy. We have the Holy Spirit to give us power and strength to keep us on the straight and narrow, to make the right choices in our lives, no matter how hard that may be sometimes. The choices we make have an impact on us and on others. We need to make wise choices as the Holy Spirit leads us. David had made the wrong choices and he thought that he'd get it covered. That was until God sent one of his prophets along to expose David's sin. And so we come to part three of this Old Testament soap opera, The Condemnation. 2 Samuel chapter 12, let's read the first few verses, tells us the next part in this tale. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe, lamb he had bought. He raised it. And it grew with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. What a lovely story. Now a traveller came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had to come to him, that had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And David said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you, and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of, of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to the one who is close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. The condemnation. David is found out. The story of Bathsheba and David has not been hidden. 
Nathan enters the scene. Nathan has not been party to anything that had taken place. Yet by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the gifting that he had as prophet, he knew David's situation and the sin that he had committed and covered up. Nathan takes a risk though, as often the prophets did. He takes a risk and starts with a story. The story enrages David, doesn't it? And in his own words, unknowingly, he declares his own sentence. I say that Nathan took a risk because he is, in effect, setting David up by telling the story as it is parallel with David's and his sins. And Nathan says in verse 7, you are the man. That must have been like a brick to the head of David to hear that. My sins have not been covered up. Because you can't hide anything from God. We serve a mighty, powerful God. Why is it that we think we can outwit him? God wants us to be honest. God wants us to be open with him. We all fall at times. We all make bad decisions at times. But God wants us to be bold. He wants us to stand up. And when we do make the wrong decisions, to not try and cover it over, but to face up to it. Because we can't hide anything from God. And by his grace and mercy, God will bring us through. David is in a corner here. He has two possible choices to make. One, he could carry on with this whole cover-up story and he could say to Nathan, um, well, he could get Nathan killed, he could have him ordered to be executed and no one would be none the wiser. Or he could make the choice, the honourable choice, the choice that David made to face up, to face the consequences. He'd already pronounced the sentence of his crime, death. And I'm sure that David was expecting to die because of the sin that he had done. But he, he mans up here. And he says in verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. And it's when we are true to ourselves, when we are truly honest with God, that we find his mercy, that we find his grace. Nathan says to David, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Someone once said this, this was an important defining moment in David's life. He confessed his sin and was prepared to accept his punishment of death. Instead, God showed his grace by forgiving David and allowing him to live. For the rest of his days, when David opened his eyes in the morning, he knew that he was alive for one reason and one reason only, the sheer grace of God. That turning point changed the direction of David's life and deepened his relationship with God to a level he had never known before. Understanding God's grace will have the same effect on you and me. The story of Bathsheba and David does not stop here. And so we come to the final part of this episode, the restoration. Sally and I enjoy watching films. When we have time, we we like to watch films. But Sally will not watch films that don't have a happy ending. I don't know if you're the same. Maybe we've watched a film and there's not a happy ending, like the Titanic. 
but we know how that ends. So Sally won't watch it because she knows that it's not a happy ending. Maybe you're the same. And uh, in this story, it would be great if that was the end of the story now, here in verse 13, where David is forgiven. He's sorry for his sins, and, and God says to him, well, your sin has been taken away, you're not going to die. But unfortunately, this is not the end of the story, and it's not quite a happy ending yet. As we find in verse 14 of chapter 12, it says, But because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. We love stories with perfect happy endings. And we want sin forgiven without consequences. But in reality, there is always a consequence for our sins, for the choices that we make, good or bad. The death of David's newborn son, of Bathsheba's newborn son, at first look, could see to be a cruel and unfair punishment for an innocent child. And there are many writers that see this from other perspectives, including that the child would have lived a painful and disgraceful life as an illegitimate son. And his death as an infant was merciful. Others have commented on the possible ramifications of this illegitimate child becoming king. Still others see the example of atonement, an innocent life being given to redeem the life of the guilty. I'm not really sure of the meaning here of the child's death, but it does demonstrate that sometimes the choices that we make can have an overbearing effect on others. The choices that we make do have an impact on us and others. We need to make wise choices as the Holy Spirit leads us. One writer said this, the long-reaching effect of a moment of sinful self-indulgence can be disastrous. We seldom pause to consider that factor in a moment of temptation. If we could see the results of our actions clearly, we'd say no more often. Bathsheba, though a part of the king's household, had to live with the humiliation and disgrace in the midst of the king's other's wives and concubines. In the terms of their society, the loss of a son was a sign of judgment upon them. That was a matter of deep scar and disgrace. The best news of all in this story is that it does not end with the consequence of sin. Where there is sin, there are consequences, but where there is grace, there is restoration, there is healing. Verse 24 of chapter, 25, uh, chapter 12 says this. It says, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and lay with her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him. Because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan, the prophet, to name him Jedidiah. Jedidiah means loved by the Lord. Here we see Bathsheba shine through. She is truly a woman of grace. The embarrassed and humiliated, disgraced Bathsheba could have told David that he could just stay on his side of the palace. I don't want to see you. That she never wanted to see him again. 
Who would have thought that a relationship with such a sin-drenched foundation could even survive, much less prosper? Through the graciousness of Bathsheba, through the grace of God, we see the power and destiny of God shine through this awful series of events. No matter the past we have had, God is a God of grace. Healing and restoration. If we can truly come before God and demonstrate complete repentance, then we, that we are truly sorry and willing to face the consequences of our sin, God will break in by his grace and his mercy. And he will restore you. He will restore us. Through the grace of Bathsheba, in remaining with David and marrying him, the line of Jesus remains intact. And Solomon is born. A baby boy, destined to become Israel's greatest king. Even though we don't have a lot of information about Bathsheba, the little we do know, she's not even named in, in, the, in the genealogy of Matthew. She is just listed as the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Even though we don't have a lot of information about Bathsheba, the little we do know shows us that she was truly a woman of grace. Her story with David demonstrates to us the need to remain faithful to God and his word. When we wander away from his truth and his plans for us, it leads us to places and choices that can be painful or even disastrous. That the choices that we make do have an impact on us and others. We need to make wise choices as the Holy Spirit leads us. We need to stay near to God through his written word, through constant prayer. We are to remain in him and keep his laws and truths close to us. So when temptation comes, we can say no. We can make the right choices. There are consequences of sin, but the grace of God is sufficient. And through a repentant heart, God will bring healing and bring restoration. Do not let your past dictate your future. Do not let the bad choices that you have made influence the choices you make now. You can break that bond of sin on your life and see healing and restoration. The story of Bathsheba shows us that so clearly. From that life that they led, grace of God comes in, breaks in. Healing and restoration comes. And through Bathsheba, the lineage of David, the lineage of Jesus remains intact. We finish with just one sentence. Put your life into the hands of God and see the grace of God shape your future with him. Amen. Praise God. We'll finish with a prayer. I wonder if we could stand to our feet this morning as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. For your great truth, Lord.
as we hold your word in our hand, as we treasure up the words that you give to us. Lord, may we live and make choices and decisions based upon your word. Lord, may we stay close to you, near to you, so that when temptation comes, we make that right choice. Lord, I thank you for the example of Bathsheba. Her life, on looking on her life as, an, as committing adultery, we could have put her life as worth nothing. But through your grace and mercy, we see that you used Bathsheba to bring through the coming of Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for that example to us, that we know that whatever we do, when we do make those wrong decisions, that through your grace and your mercy, you bring healing, you bring restoration. And so I pray that each one of us, as your people, as your church, would walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would allow you and your word to influence the decisions and the choices that we make. That we will not allow our past and the things that we have done dictate our future. But Lord, that we will see that in your eyes, through your grace, through your mercy, you love us so much. And like that child Solomon, you say over our lives, you love us. You, that we are loved by the Lord. Move in our hearts, Lord. Move in our lives, Lord Jesus, as we live our lives for you. As we put our lives into your hands. We give you praise and we exalt your awesome name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Delancey Elim Church. For more podcasts, information or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelim.co.uk.